Hello, crime lovers, and welcome to Crime on Tap. I'm Megan, joined by my co-host, Sean. And welcome to our true crime podcast. Join us weekly as we drink our favorite cocktails and discuss gruesome murders, kidnappings, conspiracies, and more. Share the podcast with your friends, family, and heck, your grandma. Leave a review and make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Crime on Tap Pod. Tune in for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're driving to work or doing laundry, Crime on Tap will be sure to fulfill your true crime fix each week. And now, buckle up for this week's episode. Listen and enjoy. Oh my god. Oh my god, we're back. I wanted to beat you to it. I wanted to be the first one. <laughs> honestly, like, we haven't skipped a beat. We've been mm-hmm. on it every single week. We're, I'm so proud of us, honestly. I know. There are definitely times where I was like, there's no way we're going to make it work this week. And then <laughs> I, I do. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Crime on Tap. We are here on episode, I think, is it 17? Yeah, it's, uh, yep, 17. Literally madness. And <laughs> for some reason, Anchor still has not given us <laughs> any more sponsors, so Megan, I have a proposition for this episode. Okay, uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe we should try not um, swearing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because isn't that what they say? Oh. Like family-friendly content maybe let's make it a little bit more pg maybe you can just try it for a couple weeks and see if like anybody wants to sponsor us here on out well i just feel like with the subject matter like murder crime and all of this like can we can we keep it family friendly like is there a way to be like ad friendly i'm being serious (laughs) no i understand that I don't know if it's our content we're putting out or if it's like our vocabulary because like you listen to other true crime podcasts and like they got HelloFresh sponsorships. They got, what's that one? Um, Skillshare sponsorships. Mm-hmm. The sponsorship. Yeah, like all these different sponsorships and like, hello, where's our sponsorship for some wine, some beer? Like we talk about cocktails every week on this podcast and we haven't got a, po- or we haven't got a sponsorship yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should just pretend that we have sponsorships <laughs> and just like make a commercial for something that's not that's not paying us for it to add some yeah. variety. So when people are like, why is your coupon code not working? We can be like, <laughs> we don't know. Like, what's going on? Crazy. <laughs> uh, contact customer service. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we thank you guys so much for bearing with us and listening to another Anchor ad later on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Again, estimated around the 17 to 24 minute mark. Um, <laughs> and again, we really appreciate you listening to that entire ad. It, I mean... We make a penny off it, so <laughs> we really appreciate it. But thank you for those what, Abraham Lincoln's. <laughs> okay, just so everyone knows, this is not our only source of income. Okay, <laughs> I just want to put that out there. People are going to be, <laughs> be like, "How are they surviving? Tax fraud?" Like, no, we have other jobs. <laughs> so, Megan, you want to get right into what we're drinking today? Yes. Um, as I was saying before, I have coffee. My Colombian. Mm-hmm. I had iced coffee this morning that I made myself. I, even though it's 7.30 p.m., um, I, Dang. our regular receptionist woman, I think I said this last time, well, she's still on damn vacation. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I've been working a little bit more than I usually do. And so I'm tired and I need a little pick-me-up, but... This is a fun episode, so there won't be any problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited for this episode. Mm-hmm. It's close to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Well, since you have been drinking coffee the last three weeks, I guess I'm pulling through with the cocktails. <laughs> yes, you really are. Okay, I- I'll make a promise right now to our listeners. Next week, I'll have a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, you know what? We should schedule a podcast. So guys, we are going to be meeting up for July 4th, which is so mm-hmm. exciting. We haven't seen each other since September. Of oh last God. year. So maybe we can record a podcast or something while you're here. That would be so fun. That would be super fun. Yeah, Lock I... everyone in a different room. <laughs> Get the fuck out. We need to do our work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so today I'm drinking the classic cranberry vodka. Just a mm-hmm. little just a little seltzer water with some lime juice and a little cranberry and vodka. Good to go. Mm-hmm. That sounds yummy. Alrighty, Megan. So mm-hmm. if you have nothing left to say, how about we get right into the podcast? Let's do it. Okay. So guys, today we are bringing you an iconic episode, and I think it's a little treat for all you viewers listening today because 
you have literally firsthand <laughs> experience with this episode. Yes, you heard that correct. Lived through the Danamora prison escape in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also something I noticed, this happened June 6th. So it's like kind of around the, what, six-year anniversary. Wow. Oh, my God. So it's bring perfect back, timing. Bring back all those memories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess we should have technically, like, done it two weeks ago, but... <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But I remember we were talking about doing this podcast from the very early on. Like, this was, like, one of them that we were going to 100% do. Just because, like, I literally lived through this whole event, which was literally insane as we walked through it later on in the episode. So, the main the main protagonists are mm-hmm. Richard Matt and David Sweat, and these are the two prisoners that escape. So each of them, they both have interesting backgrounds because, I mean, they are in a maximum security prison <laughs> in New York. So, I yeah. mean, they've got to have a backstory, right? Richard Mack grew up in the suburbs of Buffalo in New York. He was in foster care, never really had a family. And he started going in and out of prison in, beginning in the 80s for, you know, the, <laughs> the big ones, burglary, rape, theft, assault. Um, yeah, just the usuals. <laughs> You know, the heavy hitters, right? (laughs) Goes to show, he never really had a family. You know, Mm -hmm. he grew up in the foster system. He never had a mom or a father directing him and guiding him through life. He just kind of had to figure it out on his own. And clearly he got roped in with the wrong people. Well, and it makes you think about like nature versus nurture sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Like if he had a different life, would he have ended up in the place that he was? I mean, we about the kids that have a rough start in life and no i fully agree it comes down from the parenting yeah i mean you gotta think about i mean not excusing what he did but kind of an explanation how his life came to that point yeah um and so he's he's known to be a little escapee escapey, like play hide and see yeah oh yeah he plays a big game of hide and seek all right You're pretty good at it, too. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) So he had a a history of escaping from correctional facilities and also from a group home in his early teens when he was still a a part of the foster care system. And so the big one... The big crime of why of what he was serving at the time of his escape was for a kidnapping of his former boss from his home with his accomplice Lee Bates, and he wanted to know where the location of a bunch of money was. So that was like part of the motive. He drove for more than twenty four hours with the boss in the trunk, and <laughs> I'm thinking to myself. How did he survive even being like trapped in a trunk? Like you, there's no air. You can't breathe. I know. Isn't, I definitely think around this time, cars should have had like the emergency glow in the dark handle that like you could pop out. Right. Right. I mean, what, what year was, was uh, in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. Right. Or, oh no. I think this was 1994 actually. Oh, okay. So, you know, I don't think they would have had those. <laughs> Maybe he was breathing out like through a hole with a straw or something. <laughs> like an old Dunkin' Donuts cup he found. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so, but, well, I guess he did get air when they periodically stopped to beat and torture him. <laughs> he probably got some air then. We are, we are bad people. <laughs> there goes the sponsorship. <laughs> there they go. That's why we have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only Anchor can handle us. <laughs> and so they eventually did kill him by breaking his neck and then dismembering his body and then throwing the parts just the body parts in a river and a plan was to escape to mexico i thought you just like talked about that like it was nothing like we're just immune to like anything gruesome anymore i know i definitely in the beginning it was like especially with the joel and lisa guy case i was like what is oh my wrong God. with this guy yeah. and now i'm just like yeah so he put his mother's head in a pot and then <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about please go back several episodes to listen to that one that one's wild that one's insane that's probably the most gruesome one we did oh yeah definitely i don't know if that one can be beat so they were trying to escape to mexico but at the mexican border um an american man tried to rob richard matt and so he killed him that Mm -hmm. guy 
was probably thinking, oh, I'm going to get this guy. (laughs) Yeah, jokes on him. (laughs) Jokes on you. And so he was sentenced to 25 years to life with no chance of parole until 2032. Okay, so next we have the next heavy hitter. His name is David Sweat. Now, he doesn't have as much experience with um, escaping, but he doesn't have the (laughs) most kosher history as well. So David Sweat, he's going to be a key player in here in our escape scheme. He grew up in Binghampton area, which is just like a, you know, a typical city over in New York. He grew up with a single mother and two sisters who were not the best figures in his life because basically his mother couldn't raise him anymore. She sent him to Florida to be raised by his uncle, thinking that he could control him. But clearly that didn't work out either because (laughs) he eventually stole and wrecked his aunt's car and he went to the foster care system. So his aunt and uncle were like, we literally can't handle him either. So you're in the foster care system now. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking about imagine like the rejection he felt as a kid like his mom didn't want him his aunt yeah. uncle didn't want him like there's a lot of resentment and hate there that probably festers and mm-hmm. then turns and you, you wonder why he's doing what he's doing obviously he's going to react the way he's reacting when literally he's never been loved never been guided never had any structure or anything in his life are we really shocked we were talking about him today honestly mm-hmm. i mean you gotta think about when can we as a society i feel like i hate that and i always end up saying it Um, intervene before these kids end up being criminals going to jail. You know know. what I'm saying? It needs to be a better process. I don't know. But, I mean, honestly, I don't have the answer, but shit. I don't either. Someone smarter. Someone (laughs) Someone smarter come up with the answer. Yeah, exactly. After his aunt and uncle basically sent him to the foster care system, like, what even was that conversation like? How could as a mother be like, no, I don't want him back. Like, send him to the foster care system. That is so Mm -hmm. wild to me, honestly. Like, she never loved him ever. In his late teens, he basically became homeless, and he was known as a very meticulous planner. (laughs) Not, like, studious planner. More as, like, (laughs) um, elaborately schemed and planned burglaries. So it wasn't like he was just woke up one day and was like, I'm going to go rob this bank. He was a meticulous planner. He planned out his fucking burglaries. And in the late 1990s, he served lots of time. He was in and out of the prison system. And his main event, as Megan likes to say. (laughs) (laughs) The main event. Why he was where he was in upstate New York. Um, In 2002, he burglarized a fireworks store in Pennsylvania where he stole firearms. And I was confused by this because I was like, why is a fireworks store selling firearms? (laughs) One-stop shop, I guess. (laughs) Right? So, especially in Pennsylvania, like, that's a pretty, like, liberal state. Like, I didn't know they were selling firearms in the fireworks store, but... Well, and also just having them near each other in a store, I feel like, is, like, a danger hazard. (laughs) Like, gunpowder and, like, bullets and shit. Like, I don't know much about that shit, but it can't be good next to fireworks. I know, that's what I was thinking, too. (laughs) Maybe we know nothing, but... (laughs) Right, yeah. So, basically, they robbed this fireworks store, stole a bunch of firearms... And upon returning back to New York, they were spotted by a sheriff's deputy, which this is so sad, honestly. The sheriff's deputy, he had a wife, a child. He was just like like a good guy. If you watch the movie on the prison break, directed by Ben Stiller, mind you, this guy was like, (laughs) right? He was just like a family man, like a typical family guy. And this guy, he, the deputy noticed they were moving firearms from one car to another in an abandoned New York parking lot. Um, immediately as Sweat was confronted, he opened fire on the deputy, hitting him multiple times before running him over with his car. And as they got out of the car, oh, also Sweat, he had an accomplice with him. They got out of the car to check to make sure he was dead and he was still alive. So they shot him two more times in the face and they thought they got away with it, but eventually they got caught. Sweat and his accomplice pled guilty to first degree murder and received a life without parole to avoid capital punishment. AKA the death penalty. That's kind of why David Sweat got sent to where he was in a maximum security prison. I am surprised that they didn't give him capital punishment because I feel like cop killers, they go down on them. They go yeah, hard right? on them. Like, I don't know. I don't know the full story behind it. Like, I don't know if he like didn't want to rat out his friend who was also the accomplice, but maybe they worked out a deal. The prosecution was like, if you tell us who you worked with, we won't give you like the death penalty. I don't know. So probably. Yeah. There had to be something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So now that you guys know both of the main characters and and antagonist in this episode, um, David Sweat and Richard Matt. Let me set the scene for you guys. So my home in Plattsburgh, New York, is 
approximately 15 minutes from the prison at which these two men escape from. Not only are we close to the prison, my father works at the prison and has worked there for 30 years and has retired from the prison. My high school was a five-minute drive from the prison. Danamora, New York, where this prison is located, is Redneck City, back <laughs> in the woods. Um, and all that is there is a high school and the prison. Basically, if you live up in the boonies that way, you either are a school teacher or you work at the prison. Now, let me set the scene for the prison and how it looks. So basically, there's a main road right through Danamora, New York. And there's probably this like 100 foot cement wall with lookout towers. You drive like you are inches from this wall. On the other side of that wall are prisoners, maximum security prisoners like David Sweat and Richard Matt. On the other side, on the other lane are houses. Literally people live across a lane away from a maximum security prison. So that's why this whole thing is kind of serious. Like this isn't like Guantanamo Bay where it's like (laughs) surrounded by water. Mm -hmm. This is in a neighborhood in Danamora, New York with families and children, restaurants, Dunkin' Donuts, gas stations. It's all surrounded by this prison. Like the prison basically pays everybody's mortgages because they all work at the prison. Again, before we get into this main event, this prison prior to the events happening here was not, even though it was a maximum security prison, it was really relaxed. If you were a corrections officer working there, if you worked in any of the like, the like, as like a nurse or like in the seamstress area or like the classes that they would teach, they would have um, classes and shit. I don't even fucking know. It was very relaxed. It was like an atmosphere where the guards got along with the prisoners very easily. In which later on, when we start talking about Richard Matt and his connection with this one corrections officer. So that's, I just want to set the scene in like my background with this case in the history of this and how much more insight I can give on it. Sweat and Matt. (laughs) I'm sorry, these are like, (laughs) sweat, poor guy. So they were like buddies and they... Um, spent a lot of time on what was it called honors block and so mm-hmm. they were considered well-behaved prisoners so they got some some privileges like they were able to help in different departments and wear civilian clothes um had access to books and those sort of things so they they were doing pretty well they were considered like model prisoners yes. at that point but little did anyone know? Well, a few people. Um, <laughs> that Matt and Sweat had in the plan to escape. And they've been planning this mm-hmm. for months. Like, I think planning began in, like, January of the year prior, in mm-hmm. 2014. Which is where Sweat comes in with his meticulous planning. Like, it wasn't just a, like, oh, we're going to bang on the walls till something happens. No, like, they had a plan. They had ways to execute it. So they had their hands on padded gloves, glasses with lights on them, screwdrivers, hacksaw blades. Um, And what they did was night after night, over a long period of time, they used a hacksaw to cut a rectangular hole in the back of Sweat's cell and then Mm -hmm. cut another in Matt's, which they're adjacent, so they're next to each other. Their buddies and their cells were four stories up, but they um, behind the wall was a catwalk that they had actually uh, been given access to illegally by a friend of them who worked there Um, and giving them access to the prison's infrastructure. So um, they waited until after the 1130 head count and then they crawled through the hole to look for a way out um mm-hmm. so the reason why this is called the shawshank redemption-esque style prison break is because they stuffed the beds with clothing to make it seem like that they were asleep before returning each morning at 5 30 so yeah. like they would be out they would be looking for places they'd be using their hacksaws and everything mm-hmm. and then they would come back and in case they were caught it would be like oh it looks like they're sleeping which i think is funny because it's used in like every like old 90s sitcom when the kids are like sneaking out to like go to a party or something yes <laughs> but the thing is that it worked <laughs> it doesn't fool a suburban white mom but it fooled these guys right <laughs> And honestly, as a corrections officer, I'm not to be rude, but like, you don't need too many credentials to be a corrections officer. Like, you don't need any college. You barely need a high school diploma. 
<laughs> the fucking Ploma. <laughs> the fucking Ploma. And you're hanging around crazy motherfuckers who have killed people. Making They're making you think like you're friends with them. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, also it's late at night. Well, what CO is literally going to take their job seriously? If they see a sack on the bed, they're going to think it's a body. And they're going to think, oh, yeah, they're fine. They're there. Next one. There's so many cells that go by. They ain't got time to double check every single one. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like you said, if they're like on the honor roll, like if they're on good behavior, then they're not going to be looking too keenly into their cell. Yeah, if they're not known troublemakers. <laughs> yeah. Also, let me set the scene for like this hole that they're digging through. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine how long it must have taken them to to fucking poke through a cement wall to get back there. But um, behind these walls is the infrastructure of the prison and in here there's a catwalk and then there's also drainage systems that lead outside of the prison underground under the 100 foot cement wall um to manholes so basically that was what they were trying to do dig into these manhole or dig into these drainage systems um that had no water in them or anything i don't know if there was a drought or what going on but uh (laughs) That's what their plan was, to dig through their cell hole, get into the infrastructure, then again, hammer their way through the drainage walls and get into the tubes and come out the manhole. And on the other side of the manhole that they were going to escape from was going to be Joyce Mitchell. Oh, oh my God. Let's talk about Joyce. So I want to introduce Joyce. I said to Sean earlier that she's my favorite of in the... prison break pantheon yeah um so this is a little backstory on her and then we'll get into how she relates to all of this Mm -hmm. okay so joyce mitchell was hired um, by the clinton correctional facility in 2008 as an industrial training supervisor uh, within the prison's apparel manufacturing division aka she's a seamstress (laughs) Oh my god, that's like an exhaustive title for a seamstress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trying to make her seem more important than she really is. And it turns out her husband, Lyle Mitchell, um, mm-hmm. also employed as a civilian in the facility. So like a civilian means that they're not like official boom boom shooter shoe, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's like, like he... works in the cafeteria or something. Yeah, yeah. I think he was like a maintenance man or something. She kind of had a reputation for being really friendly with all of the inmates mm-hmm. um, and kind of even rumors of having inappropriate interactions yeah. with prisoners that also worked in the shop. Yes. Um, now, Joyce, one... let me just say, mm-hmm. Joyce was an older woman. I'm going to be honest. She was not that attractive. She had strangly blonde hair, pedophile glasses, <laughs> and she just, it didn't look like she took care of herself. She just looked slouchy and frumpy day in and day out. So, yeah, I think frumpy is a good descriptor. Yeah, I'm just going to say, someone like her, when she's getting all this attention from these inmates and these men, I can see why she would act the way she's acting. If she's mm-hmm. not getting any from her husband, then... <laughs> She's getting this attention from these boys at the fucking prison yard. Then I can see why she's acting the way she's acting. Yeah. she. I mean, she must have, I don't know, felt like she had some self-esteem issues. I don't know. To, yeah. to be so enraptured by the attention that they were giving her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I mean, granted, those men would fuck anything at this point. So. I mean, I know you shouldn't necessarily take it as a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like Joyce, you gotta have that in the back of your hand. Like, well, and also they were trying to get something out of her. <laughs> yeah. So she, so two of the people that two of the many people that she kind of had these friendships with that worked in her shop with her were Matt and Sweat, mm-hmm. um, and um, inmates. They call it um, grooming of the prison staff. Yes. Um. So. Uh, the gangster way to say, I guess, <laughs> is it downing the duck is what I saw online. And Oof. so it's um, in hopes of getting special treatment and favors. They kind of had a relationship. I think it was mostly Matt, Richard Matt, that had the more sexual relationship. 
the yes. Joyce. She said that they never engaged in anything sexual. Rumors are to the contrary that they did engage in sexual acts. Yeah. Um, she did say that she sent nude pictures of herself. Mm-hmm. And um, she, like you said, she loved the attention. She enjoyed, you know, the the fantasy of forbidden love and all that garbage. Right. Um, and so you're probably wondering before, how did they get all those tools? Mm-hmm. How did they get a hacksaw, Megan? Oh my God. It was Joycey Joyce. Joycey Joycey. That's why she's a big player. <laughs> yes. They couldn't have done it without her. Really? Honestly, they couldn't have. Um, so sometime around January in 2015, so they've been playing this for so long, they approached Joyce to help them. And there's another rumor that has, that she has kind of dismissed or that has been dismissed was that they were also discussing a plot to kill the husband mm-hmm. so that she could be with Matt, I think was like her, her lover. Yeah. And Sweat was just kind of like, well, I guess he'll be around. Yeah. <laughs> Well, basically, um, mm-hmm. the story behind that was Richard Matt told Joyce, if you don't help us, I'm going to send my boys to kill your husband. You See, know, that's so- interesting because I felt like I read that it was like she was kind of in on it. So I guess, it, but it hasn't really been clear. So there's kind of different sides to the story. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, like, this isn't like, Megan, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to kill your, your, your boyfriend. This was like a convicted murderer who dismembered a body and dumped it in the river is threatening to kill your husband. <laughs> that is a very good point. Yeah, I would take that more seriously than uh <laughs> right? than any old person. <laughs> so she was the one that helped smuggle the hacksaw blades, chisels and other contraband for them, um mm. concealed in frozen meat. Yeah. Which I remember when this first came out, hearing that so much. It was like, the contraband was fro- was hidden in frozen meat. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck? Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, when you, anybody that walks into the prison, even if you work there, you have to go through security. And you have to go through, like, there's a guard, there's a gate. And then you go up to the gate and you say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm just coming in for the day. And then they let you in. And they're supposed to check your bags. They're supposed to check you over. And clearly, they did not check Joyce's frozen meat. <laughs> well, why should they? Like, why is the seamstress bringing in frozen meat? Right? <laughs> they just oh, Joyce with her frozen meat again. Oh, Joyce. <laughs> yeah, right. So that that was the stuff they used to like carve the holes in their cell walls. Mm-hmm. And she also agreed to meet them in a getaway car with guns, ammo, camping gear, and a camp and a campus. Um, camping <laughs> gear and a compass because they yeah. plan to like live in the woods and live off the land until things mm-hmm. until the search for them calmed down and then they were going to go to Mexico when Joyce would smuggle in her little her little <laughs> meat packages <laughs> <laughs> oh my god she would um, she would give it to a man named Gene Palmer, who also worked at the prison as a corrections officer. Now, he was a veteran on the force. He was there for 27 years. He was 57 years old. He was getting close to about to retire. And Gene was an old timer. He had many friendly relationships with these prisoners, especially Richard Matt. Now... I love this relationship between Richard Matt and David Sweat, honestly, because Richard Matt was, he was creating all the relationships with everybody. He was getting all the tools, getting everything necessary in order to get out. And David Sweat was the mastermind creating the plan behind the scenes, right? Like they had a great relationship in getting out of this prison. Okay. I just need to make the connection Mm -hmm. that like, if this was Big Brother. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Richard Matt, high social game. Yes. David Sweat, high competition. Okay, yes. I Win agree. rate. 100%. I mean, as we get later in this episode, <laughs> the foot race, David Sweat's going to win every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if it's an endurance comp, David Sweat's going to win every time. <laughs> endurance comp? Yeah. <laughs> Richard would be too busy in a showman, and David would be studying his days in the house. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. See, I knew you totally understand if I put it that way. <laughs> but um, okay, so back to Gene Palmer. He had a great relationship with Richard Matt. 
Now, their relationship was very close where one of the accomplices, just like Joyce Mitchell, where he was giving them screwdrivers, he was giving them needle nose pliers on four different occasions um, that they found him giving him giving them these supplies. Why? Because they had a good relationship with each other. They were bros. Gene Palmer, the corrections officer, would let Richard Matt get away with things. Richard Matt would then, you know, in the prison system, there's gangs and shit like that. So he would help protect Gene in situations where maybe like like a jump might happen. I don't know. You know, shit like that happens there. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of protecting each other in a sense. Also, the relationship was kind of... Um, like give and take so gene would give richard matt tools in exchange for paintings richard matt was a very good artist which is shocking but honestly if you've seen some of his work it's really fucking good <laughs> mm-hmm. well and it was even said that gene like commissioned um him to paint a family portrait of his family yes so mm-hmm. and he provided the paints and all the, mm-hmm. the special art supplies and stuff for him yeah but she was like, give me a screwdriver and I'll paint your your wife. My father has paintings from inmates <laughs> of me and Corey, my brother, as babies. <laughs> oh my god, that's so interesting though. Mm-hmm. And my father had inmates paint um, like self-portraits of us. And let me tell you what, they are spot on. They are <laughs> amazing. Like we, they've been hanging up in my parents' bedroom for over 20 years these paintings that inmates did think about i mean you're with these people day in and day out i mean i remember you saying that when this first came out your dad worked like a 48 hour shift or something yeah like something insane like you mm-hmm. you form relationships with these people you see yeah. them day in and day out and you know the veil of us versus them kind of goes away and mm-hmm. there's like a community there i think that's really interesting because hearing about you know these paintings and these friendships it's mm-hmm. like it paints a different picture of prison life. And I think it's really interesting and really important. So I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it's really cool. But then also yeah. in situations like this, it's, you know, what the fuck is going on there? I see your point where it's like, oh, these relationships are so cute. But it's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> clearly, it's all strategy. It's manipulating the situation. They are going into this friendship with a purpose. Gene Palmer was um, a main player in this case. And him and Joyce, you know, they did a little of the dirty work together where Joyce was giving Gene these frozen meat patties with tools in them and then telling Gene to give it to Matt. So, like, in a sense, Gene claims that he doesn't, he didn't know that what he was giving these men were going to be used to escape. But what do you think a prisoner is doing with a screwdriver? <laughs> Clearly nothing good. And yeah. also, let me paint the backstory, the, the picture of this maximum security prison where literally they live better than us. They eat better food. They have better living conditions. They have TVs. They have cell phones. They have paintings. They have cards. They have recess. They have, you know, a roof over their head. They have AC. They have heat. They live, honestly, pretty fucking good. If you're living in the honor roll, <laughs> honor roll system like these two men were, you know, you're not really living in poor conditions. You are living pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's pretty much just college. You're in a yeah, college. <laughs> you know, basically, you're trying to survive in this prison with racial gangs and shit. But another point, it's just like, would you rather be homeless or... Would you rather have a meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And a lot of the times, that's why these prisoners create relationships with the guards. Because it's like, you might get an extra helping of spaghetti. You might get an extra burger or some things like that. My dad would mention they would have a huge spaghetti night. And they would make certain people clean up the spaghetti at the end of the night in the cafeteria. And they could eat as much as they want that was left over. It's like, clearly, if you're on the good side with the guards, you're you're going to be eating good and living good. Really? It, well, it's corrupt and it's complicated. And it's like kind of the thing of justice can't be blind because mm-hmm. we're all humans. We can't take away our experiences that paint our judgment of things. Yeah. It's like, we can't be all just enforcers because we're people with feelings. I don't know. This is getting too deep. 
Okay. So Gene is also the way how they got access to the catwalk. He gave them access because they would like help with doing electrical work and stuff back there. And he wasn't necessarily supposed to give them that. Um, But I feel like it was one of those things of where, oh, it's faster and easier for them to just do it. And like cheap labor, that sort of thing. But because of that, they were able to use that to get into the infrastructure through their cells but she was probably like i'll give you a new tube of paint if you fix this wire like stupid shit like that right yeah and i i feel like honestly i don't know i'm torn between i really don't think g knew that he was inadvertently helping them escape i think he was just doing what it sounds like a lot of officers do they just maintaining relationships working relationships of scratch my Mm -hmm. back i'll scratch yours and he just scratched the wrong back (laughs) yeah right yeah (laughs) well joyce i feel like was a lot more involved yeah um so in the wee hours of the morning of june 6 2015 matt and sweat made their move through the 24 inch steam pipe and i remember this they kept showing the note on the news it was this (laughs) note that said have a nice day and it was this very racist caricature of a Chinese man. Yep. <laughs> I remember they kept showing that and showing that. I'm like, really, should they be, like, showing that? <laughs> um, and so yeah. they crawled to a manhole on the street 400 feet beyond the prison walls. Quick anecdote, when I visited Sean once, I asked mm-hmm. him to take me to the manhole. <laughs> <laughs> she said, take me to your manhole. <laughs> <laughs> take me to your manhole (laughs) so i have a picture of the manhole and i (laughs) so i have been at the manhole at sean's manhole yes (laughs) there goes the sponsor again geez one after another i know and so they emerged carrying a guitar case filled with clothes food and pepper to throw off their scent to the dogs with it which I thought was really interesting. That was definitely a David Sweat special. I don't think that right. was great. So the original plan was for Joyce to pick them up in a Jeep and bring all the supplies, a tent, GPS, and shotgun. That night, however, she suffered a panic attack because I think she was like finally setting in what she was involved in. Yeah, she couldn't believe what she, was actually happening. And that she was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so she checked herself into the local hospital because of a case of nerves in her in her chest, chest pain, all of that. They popped out of the manhole and she wasn't there with leaving them with no plan. Could you imagine like what they did? They fucking popped that shit off and were like, <laughs> uh, Joyce, <laughs> where is she? Hello, Joyce, where are you hiding? I think that they're probably like, I'm going to fucking kill her. <laughs> knowing these guys they're probably like i'm gonna find her and i'm gonna kill her (laughs) we can't even joke about it because they literally would kill her yeah i mean that that's probably what it was yeah um so then they realized oh fuck she's got cold feet so they decided to switch to the mexico plan to then go to canada because it's closer Mm -hmm. and go through the great north woods and um what they did was they stayed in remote hunting cabins out there so they like broke in and stayed there for the night they had their camping supplies and all of that and an interesting little thing i saw in an article was that a lot of the places they broke in and stayed in were owned by people that worked at the prison isn't that really ironic oh my god i didn't know that yeah just just because you know ever like you said everyone that lives in that area yeah works there and so these little remote hunting cabins were owned by a lot of the people that worked at the prison Mm -hmm. and And not to mention these cabins had alcohol in them there was food in them um also there was firearms in them which Mm -hmm. they took for themselves like who leaves a loaded shotgun in their hunting cabin abandoned i know that is really stupid (laughs) the middle of the summer like it's not even hunting season Right. They're, I guess they're waiting for November, right? Right. It's hunting season. <laughs> well, I know growing up in Vermont, I'm never going to give my address, but we don't lock our doors. You know, we don't, you know, bring in furniture from yeah. outside and bring it in so it's not stolen or whatever. Like, mm. that's just like not even a thought. I just people, I'm privileged, white, northern privileged, but like, just, yeah. People don't do that shit around here very often. Yeah. 
And yeah, and I guess in like upstate boonies, you're not expecting somebody to ransack your hunting cabin deep in the woods. Right. And so that's kind of what I think that they, I'm sure they lock everything up now. Yeah, oh, sure. And so the men were discovered missing at the 530 head count. And Mm -hmm. by noon, a full-fledged manhunt was out for them and had begun. Yeah. So Governor Cuomo, who we've heard a lot about, um, during the pandemic, he called for a full investigation in the security lapses at the prison. The Vermont and Pennsylvania borders were really like shut down because Pennsylvania, that was where one of Sweat's crimes was. So they're like, oh, maybe he's going to go back to his old stomping grounds. Yeah. Vermont is another rural area that's close to Canada. I remember the night it happened, I was working alone at the uh, movie theater and I was terrified that they're going to come in and like, kill me and rob the place that never happened but i just remember being so scared because they kept talking on the news Mm. of course i had the news on never had the news on when shit like this is going on but being like vermont's not safe they're coming for everyone i'm like "Ah!" (laughs) that's basically how it was yeah like it was terrifying and shit you were like four hours away across a lake and you were still scared that's how fucking insane this shit was. Turning on the local news, and you got, like, the Today Show is out here. Fox News is out here. And they're all reporting on this shit happening in our local area. And roads are being shut down. Literally behind our house, there's roads being shut down. Police are stopping on the cars, popping trunks, looking in the back seats. And literally, in our backyard is wilderness. So... 15 minutes from the prison, easily these men could have been in our backyard. Convicted murderers living life sentences could be roaming the fucking woods. All these police forces out here trying to find these guys and they can't find them. I can't even be like the police did a shitty job. It's like, seriously, like, I don't, how do you find these guys? I don't understand, you know? Yeah, two people in like rural wilderness. Like, it's crazy. It's not like there's cameras in the woods or like, you know, like the escaped in like Boston and there's a camera on every street. You're mm-hmm. in the boonies of upstate New York, literally by Canada in the woods, no cameras, no nothing. And you, you have no leads, no nothing. And you're just trying to find these guys. So good luck. Well, and so they were on the one, they were on the one. <laughs> They were on the run for two weeks when David Sweat was starting to get tired of Matt's bullshit. Yeah. Um, whenever they'd find liquor in a hunting cabin, um, he would just get completely drunk and not be helpful at all. Yeah. And so Sweat was younger. He was more capable. He was smarter, as we talked about. And so this is a quote that once he was captured, because we know they get captured, once he was captured, what he said about his partner in crime, <laughs> quote, I said, you know what? I hate to do it to him, but I kept my part of the deal. I got him out and I bolted on him. <laughs> He's like, I did what I had to do. Peace. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, mm, you're weighing me down. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Basically, that's what he said. And so Matt was the first one that was caught on June 26. Um, he was outside of Malone, New York. After he fired at a camper with a 20 gauge shotgun from one of the hunting cabins that he squatted in. Yep. And so when they told him to put his weapon down, he refused. And so they <laughs> shot him in the head three times. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he passed, and the autopsy revealed that he was drunk at the yep. time of his death. So Sweat kind of had a point like he would have gotten them both shot and killed if they stayed together and he pulled this shit also like on the run in these woods like it's raining you know the conditions are not the best it's hot as fuck during the day cold at night it's raining and you're probably all wet and dirty and nasty so richard matt was just like i'm just gonna get drunk what else (laughs) is there to do but to drink yeah he seemed like he was just blindly shooting around Right, yeah. Oh, well, and he probably hadn't drank in a long time and was like, man, I just want, all I want to do is I want one drink. It's been, it's been 30 years. And his tolerance is probably really low. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good point, too. It's been a while. And so next, two days later, on June 28th, a New York state trooper spotted Sweat running down a road in Constable, New York. A few short miles from the Canadian border. He was so close. He was close. Um, when... The officer stopped him. He started running towards the woods and the officer shot him twice, hitting him in the shoulder and puncturing his lung, but he survived. Mm -hmm. Which is mm -hmm. honestly like, even if he got across the border, he was going to get caught. Well, yeah, because Canada was on watch too. They would have handed him over. Like they wouldn't Mm -hmm. have, you know, given him asylum or whatever they do. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you look up the photos of David Sweat, there's like clear photos of him getting caught. And he looks fucking rough. He's been through some shit. I mean, after 22 days running through the woods, uh, barely eating anything, drinking alcohol, you're not going to be looking the best. And he was not looking great. Honestly, prison sounded better. <laughs> Seriously, like, why not just stay there? Like, I like I don't know their long-term goal here. Joyce Mitchell really fucked it up for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you Fuck it right. out, Joyce Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure they were saying that. <laughs> A little connection that I have. The officer who shot David Sweat. We have a connection with him. My grandfather went to high school with his father. And also, he is from Burke, New York, which is (laughs) Boonie Central, basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's where my ancestors are from. (laughs) Your ancestors? (laughs) Conveniently enough. And we actually own some land up up there where our ancestors used to live on that they it's clearly they don't live there anymore and it's just like wooded area of land and my father and his like uncles they all pitch in and they they like pay for the land and the taxes and everything and the guy who shot david sweat his land is right across from ours and i remember when i used to go up to the land as a kid and there would be like no trespassing signs on all the trees on his side And I remember his name, Jay Cook, was on those signs. And they're probably still there to this day. Again, just like another like weird connection that I have to the story that out of the 1,300 officers who who were on duty day and night, costing the state $20 million. Oh my gosh. (laughs) My father was working around the clock. And I have more connections day after day with this case. But shit, we knew the guy that shot motherfucking David Sweat. Just like it's always... Small town. It's small town. Everybody knows everybody. (laughs) Crazy. I mean, it's still so surreal that it happened near us. Because, like, really, like, this shit don't happen around us. I know. That's... we. I always am like, oh, why do people always say that? And then stuff happens. I'm like, this never happens around here. (laughs) I know. I think this was a case that we, like, we really had to talk about. Because it's so local to us. And it's probably something that we're not going to see happen here for a long time. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. especially because they've put in so many security measures and shit so that doesn't happen exactly. again i'm sure right yeah okay. so the aftermath of this whole thing again richard matt is dead he got shot three times in the head david sweat was captured he was sent to a local hospital and he honestly like he got another three and a half to seven years added to a sentence he was already serving a life sentence yeah so- <laughs> What more could they give him, honestly? He is now being housed at the Attica Correctional Facility, and he lives in solitary confinement, basically. That's got to be misery. I'm pretty sure he gets 23 hours in solitary confinement, and then, like, two hours of free time. Like, he gets to go outside by himself. So That would make 25 hours a day. (laughs) I think. You said 23. Yeah, that's 25 hours a day. What time is it? I'm getting delusional. Sweat just lives on a different plane than we do of existence. <laughs> I guess so. My shit. Oh my god. Okay, so 24 hours, one hour of free time. Okay, that's a good way to say it. <laughs> okay, so also Joyce Mitchell, she was also sentenced up to seven years in prison and ordered to pay an $80,000 in restitution for damages incurred during the escape. Now, I remember a few times she was trying to get out. She was trying to get on parole or whatever, just trying to get out. And she got denied like three or four times. Mm-hmm. I remember one was in 2016 and one was in 2018. Yes. So finally in 2020, which right before the pandemic, like perfect time, Joyce, like oh, right back into quarantine. I was just thinking that. <laughs> 
So it's basically she didn't even get out because she was released and is under community supervision and she will remain in oversight until June of 2022 at home where she shares it with her husband, Lyle. I cannot believe Lyle stayed with her. And um, it was said that she, that he visited her every other weekend throughout her sentence. Like he was like still devoted. <laughs> I have nothing to say about that. You have nothing to say. <laughs> nothing. Like, what the fuck? You know what they say. Love is blind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Johnny. <laughs> to finish it off, Gene Palmer, who was the one giving Richard Matt all the paint supplies to give him his little artwork, he was sentenced to six months in prison. I feel like, you know, he got what he deserved. I don't think he really knew what was going on. He was there for 27 years and just trying to be the nice guy to these prisoners. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then he just happened to, you know, get caught. Yeah, but he probably did the same thing for, like, probably probably over, like, 50 other inmates, but they weren't escaping from the fucking maximum security prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm like, you just bad luck. He took a gamble and it was, did not pay off. <laughs> right. So afterwards, um, through my father, again, like, prior to these events happening, the prison was pretty lax. Like, there wasn't too many security measures in place for people who worked there like yes it was secure but it wasn't like so uptightly secured like they never thought anything like this was ever going to happen afterwards yeah you couldn't do shit couldn't bring nothing to the prison there was like curfews people can barely even leave their cells they weren't really allowed any free time anymore and it was just really uh at that point my dad was like it's time to retire from here <laughs> yep <laughs> so he's happily retired now he's out of the prison system he's living off his pensions through the years they made many documentaries on it i'm pretty sure there's one on hbo which is pretty uh it's like a reenactment like there's actors and shit but it gives you a good idea of the sense like the, there's actual a video of the prison and what it looks like the yard area and everything and then also ben stiller he directed a like documentary kind of thing like behind the scenes more of like a, a true representation of what actually happened there which is so cool because a little old town in upstate new york and ben stiller's there directing a documentary so Mm -hmm. cool so i highly recommend you guys go and watch it because it's nice to listen to our podcast about it but really to get the visuals and really see how they executed this elaborate escape is really cool to see all right guys so we thank you so much for joining us on this journey through the danamore prison escape Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Crime on Tap. Be sure to follow us on our Instagram at Crime on Tap Pod for all the latest. And also, don't forget to share with your family and friends. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the other ones. You know um, the ones. The other ones, yeah. Apologize for the anchor ad. Um, thank you for listening. If you got, like, I don't know, like a side hustle of selling, I don't know, sticker books, like, we'll do that. <laughs> Yeah, so reach out to us, DM us on um, on Instagram at Crime on Tap Pod. We'll see you guys next time. Where, where crime, crime is, is always, always on tap. tap. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>